Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I'm your host, Brad Betke. We've got some good stuff for you this week. We're going to be going over Kevin Durant rescinding his trade request. Chet Holmgren in an unfortunate occurrence. Some Donovan Mitchell trade news. And of course, this week's fast break. So sit back, relax, recline your chairs, and turn up your music for episode 39 of the Box Score Sports Podcast. Took my baby to the highest highs. Took my shawty, it's gonna be a lonely ride. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Episode 39 of the Box Score Sports Podcast. Now, some of you might be asking why there is not football on the agenda today. And simply put, I will be trying my best this week and next to avoid football as much as physically possible because you bet your ass once the regular season week one starts, it's all you're going to hear about until the Super Bowl is over. So I hope you're strapped up and ready to go because... These next two weeks are going to be your last two weeks of football-free podcast. So, there you have it. Simple as that. Let's jump into it. Kevin Durant. Ownership and staff have mutually agreed. And Kevin Durant has withdrawn his almost two-month-old trade request. It was made on June 30th. Nets general manager... Sean Marks came out with a statement saying, Steve Nash and I, together with Joe Tsai, Clara Wu Tsai, met with Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman in Los Angeles yesterday. We have agreed to move forward with our partnership. We are focusing on basketball with one collective goal in mind. Build a lasting franchise to bring back a championship to Brooklyn. Now, this meeting that they had was on Monday... So, first thing that comes to mind for me is a couple questions. First one being, what effect does this trade rescind, trade request rescindment have on Kyrie Irving's situation? I think the first answer is obvious. I think that the trade rumors, specifically the Lakers situation with Kyrie... Those rumors are going to begin to diminish. We're not really going to hear about any trade rumors anymore with Kyrie because the Nets have made up their mind. And let's not forget, Kyrie accepted a one-year player option. So I understand that earlier in the summer we discussed that that was potentially because he couldn't get the, I guess, approval to be a free agent. So he took the player option in hopes that he would be traded, and it seems that just no team was willing to give up enough for Kyrie, I guess. So it's looking like those rumors are going to start diminishing, and Kyrie will likely stay in Brooklyn as well as Kevin Durant. Now my next question is a little broader. More along the lines of, how does this affect the Brooklyn Nets and their potential contention? You look at the division that they're in, the Atlantic. 
Really, the only teams that should be giving them competition in their division are the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. And looking at the remainder of the Eastern Conference, there's really only four other teams that really were playoff powerhouses. And I wouldn't even call them that. I would just say that teams that were in the playoffs, won games, succeeded, and could do it again. The Milwaukee Bucks the Chicago Bulls, the Miami Heat, and the Atlanta Hawks. You give me a healthy Nets roster. I personally think that they are fighting for a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. Genuinely, I feel like they can beat out the Hawks. I feel like they could beat out the 76ers. I feel like despite what they have, the 76ers has never been able to win big. And that really only leaves the Bucks, the Bulls, the Heat, the Celtics, leaving a fifth spot open for the Nets. So I do think that they could argue for a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. Let's talk about what Kevin Durant Averaged last season, 2021-22. On 55 games played, averaged 29.9 points a game. So let's call it 30. 7.4 rebounds, 6.4 assists. On 51.8% from the field, 38.3% from three. He's Kevin Durant. Those numbers don't mean anything to us. They don't surprise us because he's Kevin Durant. But what a lot of people fail to recognize that despite him being Kevin Durant, those are still high-caliber numbers. Any player that can put up borderline or, in this case, essentially 30 points a game, especially in today's NBA, that's impressive. You got to give it to him. And he only played 55 games, meaning he missed 27, 28. Another name that missed a lot of games last year, Kyrie Irving. But again, averaging 28-5-5 and on 50-40-90 shooting. That, man, he didn't play a lot last year, but when he did, he did. Now you add Ben Simmons to the mix. You give me a healthy Ben Simmons, the kid's good at basketball. You can say what you want about him, and I know I've said plenty, but the kid is good. He's, he's, he's dominant on offense, especially if they put him at a guard position because he's 6'8". His defense is his best strength. You add defense to a team that has an offensive powerhouses like KD and Kyrie, they're going to be a good team. Now, they'll be lacking in terms of depth. That's a big thing they lost when they got both Kyrie and KD. But it's a sacrifice that you have to make if you want to win big in this league. Overall, I would say that what happened here with KD and Kyrie has kind of set a precedent in the NBA. You look at what a lot of other stars are starting to do, demand more. Teams are starting to demand more. Yet teams, are other teams, I mean, are willing to give up less. A great example is Donovan Mitchell. 
and I'll I'll be discussing it later on in the episode, but that is a great example of what teams are willing to give up versus what a player is worth. It's really hard to come up with any kind of value of a player, especially considering the fact that the NBA is one of few leagues at this point that have a salary cap. You look at the MLB, you know, they're able to sign based on how much money the franchise makes. That's why the Oakland Athletics suck and the Yankees are amazing, you know. It's all about what you can afford. In the NBA, you don't have that luxury. You have players that are playing on, some of them max, some of them minimum contracts. Some of them that are really only on one or two year contracts every once in a while because they're unreliable. Which I personally think in this case, depending on how this next season goes, could be how Kyrie and KD's careers end. Hopping back and forth on one to two year contracts. Not really knowing where to go, what to do, how to do it. But... They have proven to us they are still superstar caliber players in this league. So we're not going to sit here and forget like they aren't. Now, what do you think this means for the remainder of the Eastern Conference? Looking at it from their perspective, from the Bucks' perspective or the Heat's perspective. Regardless of what happened last year, I think that every playoff contending team in the East just got a little bit more concerned. Because, like I said, at the end of the day, you can't deny the fact that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving are superstars. And they put up superstar numbers. And they play at superstar caliber. So, how much more difficult did their future meetings with each other just get? Not to mention, they're coming off of a, a bad finish to a season, so they're probably hungry. They're probably a little ticked off and looking for a change, looking for a better result. And, like I as I mentioned earlier, not to mention adding a defensive powerhouse to the table, Ben Simmons. They didn't have that kind of stuff before. They had James Harden, but my problem with James Harden, his era in Brooklyn, and it really kind of relates to the three of them. You never got full potential out of all three at the same time. You were lucky if you got full potential out of two at the same time. And it hurt the Nets. It set them back and it made them waste a lot of draft capital and a lot of youth on really nothing. You think about it. So I think that they're going to they're going to they're they're upset. They want to make a better run this year. They have a great young player in Ben Simmons who could prove longevity. There's no telling there. Simmons's inconsistency the last few seasons has really been up to question, and you wonder how much value he's able to bring to a franchise that's very clearly in win-now mode with his recent antics regarding Philadelphia and the basically skipping out on the entire season. How much value does he bring to the table in Brooklyn? So let's look at it from this perspective. Let's say best case scenario, right? Nets win the Atlantic. They get a top three seed in the East. 
and let's just say they go to the conference finals, right? They're probably either going to be playing the Celtics or the Miami Heat, in my opinion. What can they do to be better than the team in front of them? More so asking, what do they bring to the table that the other team does not? What do they do better than the other team? I can't sit here and say that there's anything in specific other than offense. I would say the Celtics and the Heat are both better defensively. The Heat, you could argue, they're not the greatest defensive team, but they're better than the Nets. Celtics, definitely better. Regardless of their performance against Golden State, let's not forget one of the best offensive teams in the league. Boston played fantastic all postseason long. Now, it's a known thing. Jason Tatum had over 100 turnovers, whatever, whatever. Get over yourselves. It happens. Kid's young. It was his first finals appearance. He probably just had to get the jitters out. I still think he played great for the situation he was in. It is what it is. Move on. Now, as I mentioned, I think they're both better defensive teams, but they're not as powerful offensively. Which is going to be more important in the end? Are you going to rely more on your offensive strengths or your defensive strengths? Or what's going to be your biggest hurt? Your offensive weaknesses or your defensive weaknesses? It could go either way. Looking at either Miami or Boston, they're both teams that are very balanced. That's why they've been consistently in the postseason every year for the last couple of seasons. And it's going to continue to be that way. You look at both teams, they have very young rosters. I think the oldest player on the Heat that's worth anything is Jimmy Butler, and the oldest player on the Celtics that's worth anything is probably Al Horford. But I'm sure that they wouldn't have a problem appraising him. Robert Williams is an incredible paint defender. Incredible. He's going to be so good in this league defensively. He's, he, 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 he runs the paint and off the glass so well for his size especially. He's not the biggest center. They will be missing shooting from the from the front court, though, like they get out of Al Horford, depending on how much longer he stays in Boston. But overall, I think I think the Brooklyn Nets, you give them healthy and you give them good chemistry, and they're going to put up a damn good fight to contend for a conference championship, potentially even a finals appearance, something that we've been waiting out of them for a couple years now. Moving on to an unfortunate story in the NBA this last week, Chet Holmgren, the number two overall pick in the 2022 draft to the Oklahoma City Thunder, suffered what is known as the Liz Frank foot injury and will unfortunately miss his entire rookie season of 2022-2023. For those that don't know, a Liz Frank injury, the Liz Frank is essentially the joint at the top of your foot that essentially connects your the bones that connect to your toes. So the bones that you see move at the on the top of your feet, there's a joint that connects all of those together. That's what he injured, the Liz Frank injury. It's it it when it happens, it's incredibly painful. It's incredibly unfortunate and it is a long-term injury as a known thing that your joints and tendons muscles take longer to heal than bones, surprisingly enough. 
incredibly unfortunate for a kid with such a bright future, second pick overall in the NBA draft. You're either all or nothing at that point. And he was showing some good promise in some of the summer league games. I know his first game he did really well, and some comparisons even got a little bit ridiculous comparing him to, like, Dirk Nowitzki and stuff. Um, but whatever it may be, the kid has talent. He's shown it. And despite the injury, you think about what he was doing. He was at a at a Pro-Am showcase playing with people like Deontay Murray and first overall pick Paolo Boncaro and LeBron James and Jason Tatum. Aaron Gordon, some big names in the league, getting some real competition. And unfortunately, the injury actually happened on a fast break defending LeBron James. I think the question that this springs is obviously that Oklahoma City Thunder is going to have a struggling season. Despite the injury, I don't think that they really possess what they need to to make that next jump. They're not quite there yet. But I definitely think a player like Chet will make an impact when he does return, depending on what the roster look like, looks like when they when he comes back. But the bigger question to me is, what does this mean for summer pro-ams? You know? it's And it's a question that I see being thrown out there a lot right now is because of the injury everybody's asking, well, why are they allowed to go out there and play in these these scrimmages and showcases and such, knowing that there's potential for injury? Well, let me give you a little refresher. Something that I've discussed on this show in the past is the fact that athletes dedicate their every breathing day to their sport, their livelihood their life. It is blood, sweat, and tears, sun up to sundown, from when they wake up to when they go to sleep, they dedicate it to their sport. So, every day they wake up with the knowledge of the fact that anything they do is putting them at risk for injury. An injury could happen on the court during a game, at practice, during a scrimmage, during a workout, during a run. There is no set environment as to when a player should and should not get hurt. So I'm going to just put a cap on that right now, right here. There is no reason that this needs to be blown out of proportion and that other players who seek out these pro-ams to get more experience and get better and get consistent and maybe even work on something new that they're trying. To take that away from players that love their sport and have the luxury to do these things in the offseason because of one unfortunate injury that got a lot of attention and was blown out of proportion. It's not necessary. I genuinely feel that these players know damn well what they're getting themselves into every single day when they wake up. They know. So I just don't think it would be fair. And I really think that one thing the league needs to avoid is situational anxiety, if you will call it that. Realizing that Chet Holmgren has a big name in this league. He is a very popular name because he was popular at Gonzaga, had a very good season. He was even popular before then. High, high draft pick, you know, lottery, a lot of attention around the kid's name. So he's a very popular name. I don't think that they need to get situational anxiety and because he's a popular name and gets so much attention to the injury that they need to react any type of way and, like I mentioned, end up punishing the other players by 
telling them they'll be fined if they go to a pro-am or whatever kind of antics the NBA would come up with. On the contrary, Oklahoma City Thunder general manager Sam Presti did have some good things to say. He said that Chet is in good spirits and he is still working out, working on some shooting and so on and so forth without having to put any pressure on the foot. And Sam Presti actually pointed out the, the, the beauty and how much you can really learn from the game just by watching. So, so Presti still has very high hopes for somebody like Holmgren. And I know that dis- despite the injury, who knows what he could come back? Who knows that he's probably going to be healthier towards the end of the season, probably sometime during the postseason, and he's going to start working out and probably spend all of that time on top of the offseason getting bigger. It's really hard to address a kid like him who's over 7 feet tall and only 195 pounds that his BMI and how lean he is has an effect on his play. And obviously that's something that's really been acknowledged and addressed ever since he's kind of made a name for himself. But at the end of the day, he's in the league. The NBA team, they wouldn't draft him if they didn't think he was ready. He can still do it. We've seen him do it. We watched him in college play against these bigger kids that are 240 pounds, and he did just fine. So I don't think anybody needs to jump jump, uh, jump bus, if that's the right term, yet. Anybody needs to get overly upset or overreact about this. I think that he will end up just fine, and I think he, the luxury of it happening when it happened, like, I guess, I don't mean luxury, but if it had to happen at any time, I feel like right now is perfect. Because not only does he get the remainder of the pre, the remainder of this offseason, but all of the season and next offseason to heal. So not only is he going to heal, but he's going to get stronger, he's going to get faster, he's going to get better. And who knows that, who's to say that he doesn't perform better in his true first season than he would have in his actual rookie year. I am very curious to see how it turns out. It is unfortunate for a kid like Chet. Like I said earlier, he had such a bright, uh, I wouldn't say future because he still does. We won't sit here and act like he's done. But I think that there was a lot of hype around his name and a lot of excitement. And I know he was very excited to play. And something like this you never want to really see. So um, I guess just keep your eyes on the situation. We'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for his health and see if there's any any big discoveries or findings in terms of any jumps he makes. The last story I want to touch on today before we rack things up is just some brief discussion on some trade rumors regarding Jazz guard Donovan Mitchell. There's been a lot of conversation about throwing him around the league, and unfortunately, there's been a lot of teams cutting him short. I'd say the most popular trade discussion lately has been between the Jazz and the Knicks. And I'm going to just go over one of the potential trade packages that was discovered. The Knicks would receive Donovan Mitchell, that's it. Whereas the Jazz Jazz would receive Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, probably some other unnamed salary filler just to balance things out in the books, and then five draft picks, two of them being unprotected, I believe. So... The Jazz turned this pick down, this trade down. Now, I can kind of understand why, but from a perspective, you think five first-round picks on top of Fournier, who's a good, who's a solid player, 
If he's not on your starting, he's definitely a six man. And then Obi Toppin, who's been young, he's a young talent in this league. He's been in like two of the last three dunk competitions in his first three or two seasons. And he has somewhat of a bright future. He's probably going to be a role player for the most part. Nothing more than a Taylor Horton Tucker. Or something along those lines. But he'll fill his gap. He'll, he'll fill his void. Maybe even better. He's a little better, actually. I lied. So as much as I think that the Jazz should have looked into this trade a little deeper and maybe leaned towards accepting it, I do think that there are a lot of teams cutting the Jazz short for Donovan Mitchell. Let's not forget that he is a top... 30 25 player in this league he's averaged to over 20 points his whole career he's averaged over 24 i think last se- this last season his playoff statistics are incredibly impressive for somebody of his age been shooting over 30 percent or just under 40 percent from the field his entire career and he's been very consistent i think if you were to pull up his stats go ahead go into google Type in Donovan Mitchell stats and look at his stats. Look how consistent they are. The numbers are not far off from each other all of his seasons. I think that that's something that really needs to be taken into account for, is despite who he's had around him, he's still been very consistent. And I think that says a lot for what he can bring to the table. You look at other players, even some stars in this league that aren't as consistent. They'll average 19 one season, then 27 the next. I do think that Donovan Mitchell's value needs to be talked about a little more and it needs to be respected a little more. I think that there needs to be a lot more teams trying to go for Donovan Mitchell the same way teams were trying to go for Kyrie initially. I think it was Kyrie. The problem with Kyrie, the reason more teams didn't go for Kyrie is because he asked for certain teams. Donovan Mitchell, we haven't really heard from him through this whole process. So I feel like there need to be more teams being a little more aggressive to go after him. He really is... A, a top 12 point guard in this league, top 10 point guard in this league, if you put him at point guard. I think he brings the ball up the most often, so I would say he is. But overall, I think there needs to be a little respect put on Donovan Mitchell's name. All right, you guys, you know what time it is. Fast break of the week. Here we go. Albert Pujols. We're going to talk about him for a little bit here. First of all, he is the first player 42 years of age or older to have four hits, two home runs in a game. Not to mention he went four for four, two home runs, two RBIs that game. Insane stat line for somebody that's 42 or older. He is currently at 693 home runs in his career, seven short of 700, joining a very select legendary few. He hasn't hit 20 or more home runs since 2019 and hasn't hit 30 or more home runs since 2016, and he's currently at 14. In his last seven days, at 23 at-bats, he has 11 hits, 4 home runs, and 8 RBIs. For somebody as old as he is who's been doing it as long as he has, to be this good this late is kind of insane. And he now holds the record, second most total bases all time, with a number of 6,144. Now, I don't see him making his way up to first, with that being Barry Bonds, 
up there with I think 6,800 and something. It's not a very reachable. I'm sorry, not Barry Bonds. Hank Aaron. Unbelievable. Hank Aaron. 6,800 and something. New York Giants defensive end rookie at that, Kayvon Thibodeau, had an unfortunate injury in one of the preseason games against the Cincinnati Bengals, suffering an MCL sprain that is expected to sideline him for three to four weeks. Luckily, his ACL and meniscus were intact, which were very scary, and they are very hopeful that he could potentially be ready for the season opener versus the Titans. Now, there was a lot of controversy about whether or not the player, I don't remember who it was, should have been punished for the way that he blocked Thibodeau. It did look very dirty. If you watched it a certain way, it looked dirty. But the NFL deemed it a legal block, and the player won't face any punishment for the low block on Kayvon Thibodeau. Alabama head coach Nick Saban is now on pace to be the highest paid college football coach in the history of football with a contract of eight years, $93.6 million. That's insane. Somebody, he's, you know, in his 50s and he just committed to an eight-year contract for just short of 100 mil. Go chase that bag, man. Cowboys starting and star left tackle Tyron Smith had tore his hamstring in practice. Now, this is a really unfortunate injury, especially discussing what I did last week where they really need help on O-line because they already lost their right tackle and their center. And apparently, according to reports, he tore his hamstring so badly that it completely separated itself from his bone. And it looks like he will be out indefinitely, very likely for the season, and is undergoing surgery soon. Pirates' O'Neal Cruz has now hit the hardest-hit batted ball tracked by StatCast in the history of StatCast at 122.4 miles per hour exit velocity. That is unbelievable. Everything this guy does is high speed. And lastly, the Lakers are acquiring Patrick Beverly for Talon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. Will this be enough to give the Lakers that jump? There's only one way to find out. I guess we'll see. All right, you guys, that about wraps it up for the fast break and this week's episode. I really enjoyed this week's content. A lot of basketball stuff, even though there's no basketball going on. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I'm trying to hold it off on football as much as I can before it hits the ground running. Real quick, just a reminder that if you are interested in receiving some of the business cards we have here at Boxscore Sports and potentially even distributing them for us out of courtesy, we would greatly appreciate it. Please don't hesitate to reach out to me or on any of our social media platforms. That is all for this week, guys. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I will see you next week for episode 40 of the Boxscore Sports Podcast. Peace out. Took my baby to the highest highs.